Welcome to Winning with the Burns, a podcast for highly ambitious people who have a burning desire to learn what it takes to win at a high level. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us again. You know, today is a very special day because I've got a really good friend of mine, one of the most incredible, most unique human beings I really have personally met and had the privilege to spend a lot of time with. So today we got Mr. Trip Amos with us. Thank joining. you, man. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming up and joining us today. You bet. You bet. You know, so a lot of people will hear the name Amos, right? And it's like, hey, I know that name from somewhere. Where would they have heard that name? First of all, famous Amos Cookies. Right, that's going to be the first place that people ask about, right? Uh, but once they figure out that that was founded in Hawaii, that's not us. Um, and so the Amos family, we moved to Columbus, Georgia um, in the mid-50s to start uh, a company called Aflac. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, when the, the company was started, Aflac, you know, we've heard so many stories and you've you shared several unique ones with me, right? But Aflac almost wasn't the name Aflac. It was not founded as Aflac, right? So Aflac, for those that don't know, uh, stands for, it's an acronym, right? It stands for American Family Life Assurance Company. That's what uh, it stands for. Most people, that's a mouthful, which is why you go with the acronym. But we were actually founded as American Family Life Insurance Company. Uh, that assurance came later. That's the story you're referring to. So, But that's what we were founded as because obviously we were you know, an American family uh, trying to start a life insurance company. We actually started as a debit life insurance company, which you know, is is way in the past now, right? For us, I mean, we're majorly, you know, voluntary benefits and and payroll deduction, but you know, the name fit when we were founded. Awesome. So, the name Affleck used to be American Family Life Insurance, right? Affleck, Affleck, right? right? Sure, why not? <laughs> we didn't use that, but Affleck would be what it was. Yes. Yeah. So, how, how did you change it, or what made you change that? Sure. So, uh, uh, by force. Um, there's actually a company called American Family Life of Wisconsin, uh, still to this day. And for those that don't know, insurance is regulated by the states. And so we were kind of marching westward from Georgia. They were moving southward from Wisconsin. We arrived the same week in Louisiana. And so the insurance commissioner, you know, refused to have two companies with the same name. So uh, on a literal coin flip, that's not a myth, uh, we lost the coin toss and the loser had to change their name from insurance to assurance. So we went home, uh, had to change the logo, the letterhead, everything else. Um, you can imagine that was probably not the greatest week in, in the company's history, but, you know, turning lemon into lemonades three decades later, um, we got to have an Aflac duck because of the coin toss and actually losing, right? Sometimes when you lose, right, it's it's a blessing in disguise. That's right. Doesn't Many ha- times later. Yeah, don't happen to you, it happens for you. That's right. And so because we lost it, we had to change our name from Afflick to Afflack, and in the year 2000, the duck debuted. Probably one of the most recognizable brand and uh, marketing ploy out there that people recognize. Like when they see the duck, they think Afflack. Absolutely. They And, you know, what people don't realize is, so that happened in 2000. That's when the duck, I mean, you think about it, the duck is now 22, almost 23 years oh, wow. old. Right. So there is literally a generation of Americans that don't know, you know, the world without the duck. But before the duck came out, every insurance company commercial was kissing babies and sunsets and deers in the woods. It was serious, right? The rock, right? Mm-hmm. And we were the first ones to kind of say, you know what, we're going to take insurance, which is a serious business, right, in terms of what we do and what we cover, but having the ability to have humor at our name. But it was there was no Geico Gecko. There was no Lemu Emu, right? All that became possible after the success of the duck. Well, you kind of blazed the trail and set the tone, you know, for people to recognize the name. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, you told me one story one time that the marketing team was trying to come up with the, the rebranding, and I think they were stumped. 
they didn't know what to do. I think they broke for lunch. Yep. Yeah. Now, so that was. I'm going to mess that story no, up. No, so that's why good, I'm going to let you do good. it. So that's the marketing agency, right? Everybody's like, well, you know, which which family member or who at Aflac came up with the duck? The answer is no one at Aflac came up with the duck. That's why you have marketing and advertising agencies in New York. And so we were uh, talking with an agency in New York, uh, of course, across from Central Park. And so they were kind of stumped, like you said, and went across to Central Park and just said, look, we're going to take a break. But obviously, Aflac's in their mind, it's in their head, and a duck comes out of the Central Park Pond, quacks at him, and they were like, Dad, gum, it sounds like that duck said Affleck. <laughs> and, and, and they went and wrote the script, flew down, won the account. But, and if you, if you don't know, the first commercial is actually called The Pond. And it is a duck coming out of a pond and coming up to two guys on a park bench, right? And that's where the duck came from. I love that story because, you know, that's by accident, genius happens. Right. Yep. It was like yep. you had all every I had everything prepared. We had all these ideas, but by accident. Mm. Listen, and almost everything, a lucky break is a term for a reason. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of talented musicians out there. There are a lot of talented actors out there. There are a lot of talented, you know, companies out there, but lucky breaks are 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 part of life. We talk about a lucky break also. Y'all had a big break and that was by accident going over to Japan going out and visiting Japan. Let's, how, I want to hear how, that story. How, but I want to know how, what's your lineage? What's my lineage? What's your lineage with, with the Aflac? Sure, sure, sure. So there were three primary founders. Um, there were three brothers, uh, Bill, um, John, and Paul Amos. And they founded the insurance company. We had never gotten into insurance before. My granddad and my uncle Paul were both um, dime store guys. They owned Ben Franklin dime stores in the same town of 5,000 people. So they competed like y'all are brothers. Imagine if you two had competing stores in LaGrange, Georgia, <laughs> right? What Christmas I would is win, kinda... just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let y'all deal with that one later. <laughs> and then my Uncle Bev, John Amos, was uh, the assistant district attorney uh, in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Now, this is when Fort Walton Beach was a sleepy fishing village. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, a, a vacation mecca. And so uh, there was no insurance um, background in the family. And so, but long story short on that, we decided we were going to start an insurance company. And so we moved to Columbus, Georgia to do so. There are a couple of reasons why Columbus, Georgia. Let me tell you that. I'll give you three reasons. Number one, you have to have a certain amount of money to capitalize an insurance company. And Georgia required less than Florida. So let's go to Georgia. Now we're in Georgia. Well, Columbus was the largest city in Georgia at that time that did not have an insurance company headquartered there. Because back then it was all debit life. There were no computers or internet. So Macon had its own little insurance company. Augusta had its own little insurance, obviously Atlanta. And so we looked at Columbus. And then the kicker was Fort Benning. So one of the things you needed back then, again, before automation, is you needed a lot of clerical, but yet disciplined labor. And we found it in Army Wives. Wow. And so they could come in. Think about it. They were disciplined, right? They, they were a military family. They were disciplined. They were hardworking. They didn't need benefits. They got it through their husband at that time period. They didn't need a career track because in three years, their husband's going to be transferred somewhere anyway. So it was the best, cheapest form of disciplined labor we could find. And still to this day, we have so many, you know, Fort Benning wives and now husbands that work at Aflac. So they they decided to move, start the company. Yeah, so the and, lineage side, I guess you had asked, yeah. right? So I am the grandson, right? That is a, a grandson, right? There, There's a lot of – so three – there's Bill, John, and Paul. And so everybody comes from one of those three branches, I guess I should say. I am the Bill branch. Um, Y'all keep calling me Trip, which is awesome. So the reason I'm Trip is I'm actually Bill Amos the third. Okay. 
And so I'm the triple, and so that's where the name Trip comes from uh, in terms of the the sobriquet, the nickname. Um, but, you know, I, I tell you about, there are 13 of me. There are 13 third-generation grandkids of the founders. And, um, you know, over half of us still live in Columbus. I remember, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, he said his he was raised in Columbus, and he remembers an Aflac gentleman coming to the door, not to collect money for insurance, but raising money for the capital. So, yeah, yeah, we didn't have the money to start the company. Yeah. yeah, before we sold insurance, we sold stock. And he said he said his grandfather kicked himself for not because doing it was it. like five hundred bucks, and five hundred dollars back then was like a lot of money. But what that five hundred dollars would have turned into, right? I just, you know, there are stories out there, you know, we made a lot of South Georgia farmers rich. That's yeah. really who stepped up is the farmers. The farmers throughout South Georgia were our early, our, basically those were our earliest investors. And it was initially life insurance. Initially debit life. Debit That's what life. everything was back then, right? You didn't have accident insurance or even disability insurance. I mean, we're talking 1955. So it was all life. What, what was the next step? Was it? So the next step was we basically failed. That's the next step, right? So um, again, right, blessings that are there. So my great-grandfather, so the father of the three founders, um, my great-grandfather, J.S., John Shelby, uh, got cancer. And so as an Amos family, collectively, we got to see up front what that can do to a family's finances, um, you know, depleting savings. You know, we're trying to start a business. We're trying, you know, dealing with the patriarch and paying that. And so we decided to come up with the world's first ever cancer expense policy. And that was the differentiator for us. Um, you know, no one else had it. And so that was really the the second part of our growth was introducing cancer insurance, you know, literally state by state. We weren't even in all states yet, that kind of thing, much less to other countries. Wow. But again, the blessing, kind of like we were talking about that the Aflac duck, you know, obviously cancer is an, an amazingly terrible thing. I just went through it with my father. But without my great-grandfather going through that and us seeing it firsthand, Right. How many people and literally millions of people now that have benefited through our cancer expense, ours and other carriers. Yeah. But who came up with it was Affleck. That's so cool because, you know, in in anything, there's there's sequences along the way. And, you know, you had three brothers decided to start an insurance company. And then, you know, we're not even in the full story yet. We ain't got to Japan. No, we're right? we're two years you in. Know? Right. Nineteen fifty eight was yeah. cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Two years in and and you know, but again, it started with a dream. Yep. And it started with them making a decision to do it, to do it, you know, and I, I really feel like that's, that's the deal. You yeah. know, it, it really is. It, it's, if you got something inside of you. And, and, you know, you think about this as well. So most people, when they see pictures of the three founders, right, they're old gentlemen, they're bald or gray, or, you know, they're still sexy as hell because they're related to me, but, you know, they, <laughs> but, but they, they were, you know, the pictures you see, they're in their sixties and seventies or fifties or whatever. You got to remember these guys were 31, 33 and 35 when they started the company. They had young children, right? When you say they took a dream, they took a risk. And, you know, they moved their family with young children to a town they have never lived in before to start a company. And, you know, but people look at them in the pictures and think, ah, it was success was guaranteed. Got lucky. Yeah. You know, they got yeah. the gray around the temples. Yeah. They're good to yeah. go. Yeah. And, and it's just not true, right? I mean, nowadays we're used to you know, in the internet age, young people starting companies and being uber successful. That was not how it worked in the 50s. 31-year-olds didn't start insurance companies, right? And it just it just worked. They had great discipline of labor. Um, John Amos was the visionary. It was his idea. 
He was the he was the larger than life guy. My grandfather was the oldest brother. He was the he was the miser. He was the one who watched the purse strings, made sure that we didn't run out of money, all that stuff. And then Uncle Paul, the youngest brother, he was the marketer. He's the sales guy. So they all had their lanes, yeah. right? You yeah. know, when you're working with family, I'm sure you two are the same way, right? You know your strengths, you know your lanes, and so it just it just worked. Yeah. So they they start doing cancer insurance. Mm-hmm. It, that takes off. Right? It takes off. All right. So tell us the story about Japan. So Japan. So we'll fast forward now 20 years. Okay. So 1972, um, for those of you who are older in years, we used to have these things called World's Fairs, right? And so the last one, I remember going to one in Knoxville, Tennessee when I was like 12 years old. But in 1972, Osaka held the World's Fair. And... Uh, there used to be an airline called Pan Am. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It was the world's airline. So one of our board members um, was also on the board of Pan Am Airways, and he was a widower. And so Pan Am, being the world airline, held their board of directors meeting where? At the World's Fair. And so he asked my uncle, John Amos, to attend with him, right, since he was a widower. The visionary. The visionary. That is correct. And so it's going to be a little freaky, you know, in this day and age, what I'm getting ready to say. But, you know, he went over there and that was the first time in Amos had ever been to Japan. And what he noticed was if you have a cold, if you have a flu in Japan, even back then, you wore a mask. Yeah. You wore a mask to the grocery store or out or whatever. That is just their culture. And his view was, you know, as a as a Southern dude, was basically, well, you know, they'll buy any health insurance I throw at them. Yeah. <laughs> That's self-conscious, right? <laughs> yeah. And so um, in 1974, we were the first um, foreign company licensed to do business in Japan post-World War II. And the, the really what the secret of success was, right, was the initiative because we got to be there first. And so Japan, y'all have to understand, the U.S. has about 2,100 insurance companies, right, for a population of 330 million. Japan has half our population and 28 insurance companies. They are monsters, right? Huge, Nippon life, those kind of things, Sumitomo life. And so if we had gone over there, we were going to get crushed. And so the Japanese government actually stepped in. Imagine the U.S. government doing this. Two things. Number one, they granted us an eight-year monopoly in Japan. We were the only company that could sell cancer insurance in Japan. Eight-year monopoly. Wow. And number two, we know distribution is king in insurance, right? Yeah. It's about producers. It's about average weekly producers. And they were like, well, how are you going to distribute your product? We're like, I, I don't know. And they're like, well, tell us how you'd like to do it. And so the way we sell in Japan is still illegal in the U.S., but when in Rome, right, do as the Romans do. So we sell on a form of rebating. Uh, to, to give a, a U.S. example, it'd be like us going to Coca-Cola Company saying we'd like to offer employee benefits to your people. So we need you to create the Coca-Cola Insurance Agency, and you are the broker for your employees, mm-hmm. and they get the broker cut. And wow. so imagine, you know, do they want us in there seeing everybody? Do we get good enrollment conditions? Do we get extra products in there? Of course we do because Sumitomo Insurance Agency – gets a cut of every Sumitomo employee so that we do. So they're incentivized. They're incentivized. And so so you fast forward, right? We now have 94% of Tokyo Stock Exchange listed companies as clients in Japan, right? We insure one out of every four Japanese citizens. We make more money in Japan than any other non, uh, non-Japanese company except for Coke. So you said this earlier, two-thirds of Aflac's business is in Two-thirds Japan. of that, and that, you know, truthfully about 70, 72%. Wow. Of our, you can go by premium, by earnings, whatever. Um, invested assets, you know, roughly about 70 to 75% is based and, in Japan. And there's a story behind getting picked 
to to have the monopoly, right? Well, so we got picked because, well, we took the initiative. That's one. And I think in the beginning, what, what, what I tell you is Japan, they originally wanted to pick somebody. It was under trade negotiations, right? As you know, our market was open to them. They were a, a closed financial market. And so they felt the pressure to open their financial markets. And I don't think they wanted to let in one of the U.S. big boys. So they let in the... They went down the list. They, yeah. They went and found the most small redneck backwoods <laughs> um, company they could find. But what we did have is we filled a need. Right. That's 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 a lot about business. Right. I tell people if you can do the two things you can do to to succeed in business, tell a story, fill a need. You do those two things, you'll be fine. And, you know, MetLife didn't have cancer insurance. Right. We had that. And and so in, in Japan, for those that don't know, that is by far the largest killer. Right. They don't they don't eat. They don't have heart disease like we do. Right. I mean, they they're they don't not eat like, crap, look, like look at look at look, right. Yeah, they don't yeah. eat McDonald's. Every, go, go, go look at a picture of, you know, they're they're slim, they're fit, yeah. but they smoke like chimneys. Right. And so cancer is by far the leading cause of death in Japan. And so we filled a need that perhaps at that point, uh, you know, they could have let in a New York life or a Met life or a, you know, one of these large companies even back then. But they didn't fill the need. Right. Everything that those companies were selling Nippon life already sold. Mm-hmm. So again, just that invention of the cancer insurance and being that differentiator not only helped us here domestically, but you know, moving into Japan. So, you know, when, when we first met you, dynamic personality, sharp. You know what you're talking about. Tell my wife all these things. All right. Okay. <laughs> so, but you grew up. Your parents had a little money growing up, right? Sure. 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 Okay. Sure. But a lot of times when, when that happens, the kids don't do anything. They, you know, if they inherit money, they, you know, they just, they don't really do a whole lot, right? Sure. You're different, right? How, what What's your story? You went to high school. I went to high school, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, obviously I grew up very blessed, right? I mean, I went to the private school in Columbus and, and went to, you know, Furman University, Emory University. You know, I'm just, I'm just saying in, in my education uh, you know, money wasn't a hindrance to getting the best education. Yeah. Right. But I, I but had ambition. Can, but, but anybody can get an education in, sure. in today's time. You know, but the ambition, listen, I, I started at AFLAC when I was 15 years old doing summer jobs. Right. It was expected of me to my uncle John Amos. Right. By, by the time I was uh, 15 years old, my granddad was the oldest brother, if you remember. And he had already retired. He retired in 78. So I was eight years old when my granddad retired. And so John Amos is really the one that took interest in me, right? And he would take me on AFLAC trips, you know, and he's the one who, I mean, he'd call the principal's office at Brookstone and say, I need trip over here. And so I'd get out of school and go <laughs> over there because he was signing some important document and wanted me to be there. He's really the one That's who awesome. fed my desire to be a part of AFLAC. Well, I think yeah. probably because right? he saw something in you. you well, know? I hope so, right? Um, and so... I've just always, I've wanted to achieve, right? That's, I, I don't understand people that don't have that ambition gene, right? That just kind of, that kind of gets me because you, you, you know, you, you, blessings flow from ambition, right? I mean, it really yeah. does, you know, and, and it's just, you know, you say, what's my story? I can tell you this. I'll give you a little bit of my story is when I was nine years old, um, I got a, I got a, I got a hip disease. And so I had to wear leg braces for three years, 9, 10, 11 years old. Think how cruel kids are at 9, yeah. 10, 11 years old. Oh, yeah, and sure. I had on like the leg braces that like Forrest Gump had on, if you remember when he was running and they yeah. like broke off of him. And 
I don't know why, but I can tell you that was a defining moment for me because it, it, first of all, it made me realize things can happen to me, right? You grow up when you, when you're 17, 18 years old, especially as a young man, you think I'm bulletproof. Nothing's going to happen to me. I never had that feeling. I always had the feeling something can happen to me if I don't work hard and, you know, achieve. And, and I will tell you that, that three years of having that, that leg, those leg braces, I mean, both legs, blah, blah, blah. and I think that is really and truly what humbled me, right? Because again, a lot of kids, you know, that are privileged, right, can grow up jackasses. Yeah. I mean, sure. yeah. and, and I was humbled real quickly and real early. But it could have gave you a, a big insecurity. At the, at the, at that I age. get that. I yeah. get that. And, you know, listen, I had I had an amazing mom. I have an amazing dad. And, you know, they were great through it all. You know, my grandparents. So, you know, obviously, I mean, everybody being in Columbus. But it just I always wanted to achieve. You know, my dad, my dad didn't do the Affleck thing as much. He was a doctor. Right. But my, both of my grandfathers were in Affleck. And so I wanted to make my grandparent, you know, my more so than my dad. That's weird, but I wanted to make my two grandfathers proud, right? And I, I'm very blessed. So, you know, most people just, you know, the grandparents pass away early, but you know, I didn't lose either one of my granddads until I was 27 years old. So I got to know both of my granddads, not as the guy who gave me money and candy, but I got to know them as a man. Yeah, yeah, as an adult. As an adult, right? And that was that was one of the and a great uh, uncle, huh? And a great, and a great uncle. uncle. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, so so I, I do. I I, I it's it, just my two granddads were amazing influences in my life. One of them was on the sales side. One of them was president, and so I learned the sales and the field and the distribution side of Affleck from one grandfather, and I learned the headquarters and you know everything that goes along with that, right? Underwriting and regulatory and and budget and everything like that from the other. And it was just a good balance for me. So you went to school, went to Furman? Went to Furman at FU, yes. Okay. And graduated from school. And then what was the next what was the next uh move after that? So um so in school, um, I tell you what, I did a couple of things. Um, I did three foreign studies. If there's anybody listening to this daggum thing that's still in college, go away. Do something, right? I did a as you can imagine, I did six months in Japan, right? Took three years of the Japanese language. Um, I did a stint in the Netherlands and a stint at London School of Economics. Go see the world, right? Learn the world. Um, and then literally, I, I went to graduate school at Emory, graduated in May, started with Affleck in June. And, you know, that was 1994. So you start out selling? Um, no, I actually started in Affleck International. Okay. Right. We had moved on into other countries at that point. And so for the first year and a half, I did Affleck International because my, my thing is, I told my family, look, if I'm going to go to Japan or if I'm going to go to Taiwan or if I'm going to go to international, can, can I get that over with before we have kids? Right. I wanted the international experience because once my wife, Jennifer, and I, once we started having kids, going to Iowa is one thing. Going to Tokyo is a different thing when you have a two-year-old. <laughs> That's right. Right. And so my thing was I wanted to get kind of that international experience out of the, I say out of the way, but underway early so that, you know, when I decided we we're going to be parents that I could focus on the U.S., so I started in Affleck International, did that for two years. Um, uh, my first my, my first child was born in 96, and by 96, I was U.S. only. That was the plan. So after that, what did you do after that? Uh, Affleck-wise? Yeah. 
So uh, my path, um, I ran the strategic planning unit, which was everything from market research to competitive intelligence to um, mergers and acquisition um, um, analysis, stuff like that. So I ran strategic planning. Uh, from there, I ran what was called field force development, which is today it's called producer growth, but it is all the recruiting and training programs right throughout the country that are, are used to build the, you know, we've got about 32,000 licensed agents right now. Right with Aflac, and so my job at that point was was leading the the recruiting and development, the training development, all the programs that that go with that. And then I got more into the sales side. I ran what was what was called the East. So I ran the Eastern U.S., which was ten states. So I had everything from the Carolinas to Virginia, West Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, all that area. So I ran that. Um, and then at that point, back to the kids, right? Because I, I, I'm a I'm a big believer in family. Is my kids were four and seven. Running 10 states, you know how often you're home? Not much. And so my my cousin retired from Georgia. And um, I named John Beck, he retired from running Georgia. And Georgia had never been outside the family. So there had been three people that had run Georgia from 1955 to 2005. And um, I got a call one night from our CEO, Dan Amos, and he was like, okay, JB's retiring, do you wanna step down? And take Georgia. And, ugh, you know, it is so counterintuitive to go down the ladder, right, from running 10 states to running one state. And, and but again, my cousin, who is older and wiser than me, um, was correct. And so we went back and forth for a week. You know, I'd wake up one morning and say, yes, I'm going to take Georgia. It's a step down. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it's the best thing for my family. I'd wake up the next morning this is BS. Yeah. <laughs> why, why would I do this? Yeah. You know, I've got, ten, I, yeah, I've got 10 guys that are running great <clears throat> operations and why would I abandon them? And I had those emotions. And I literally took those 10 guys and gals down to Orlando, took them to Disney World for the day, then did a day of meetings. And then at like four o'clock that afternoon in the meetings, I said, give me 10 minutes. And so I stepped out, I called Dan, I said, I'm in, I'll take Georgia. And I walked back in and uh, I'll, I'll even tear up now. But I walked in, first thing I said was, what I'm about to say is not a joke. I'm leaving y'all and I'm gonna take Georgia. And with that, I ran Georgia for 13 years. And that's where you and I met uh, mm -hmm. a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you stopped by in LaGrange, you're like, hey, I just wanna meet you yep. guys. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was absolutely the right move. Doesn't mean you can't go back up the ladder later. Yeah. Right, but I got to be, I got to be, you know, uh, I got to be at dance recitals. I got to be at football games. I got to be, you know, the basketball coach for my daughter. I got to be the the Boy Scout leader for my son, right? And and all that stuff that you only do that once. But you were able to do a lot of student ministry too, because that I is did. one of your passions as well. I did. I love students. Listen, do not give me a kid from birth to 13. Once they turn 13, give them to me. I can take care of God. <laughs> well, I don't know why. God decided, Trip, you need to understand how to deal with teenagers. And so my wife and I both have been involved in youth ministry for Lots of years did it through with my kids, and you know we still do it today, right? And my kids, frankly, are in their twenties, and so they're doing it. Um, but yeah, I, you know, everybody has their strengths, but don't put me in the church nursery. God bless, but put me on Sunday night youth, and we're gonna have some fun. <laughs> because, uh, but that would not have taken place had you had the ten states. No, I would not have had the ability. You wouldn't have been able to plant the seeds in your children to be able to no, carry that on. Totally the right answer, right? Now, and I, I know this is not this is kind of off script, but yeah, you know, we have a script. I, I, well, <laughs> well, this is kind of off subject, but but uh, you for spring break, you did something very unique for spring break for your students, didn't you? I did uh, for a number of years. So in an attempt to keep them out of Panama City, <laughs> um, 
my wife and I would take, so uh, St. Luke United Methodist Church in, in Columbus, we taught the seniors, the 12th graders. And so we did that for a number of years. And so every spring break, we'd take them on a cruise. And we'd do, you know, Belize and Caymans or wherever the cruise went. And again, but it was just something we did for them. And, you know, but we did it four or five years straight and just great memories with that. That was my best week of the year, right? I could be 18 again, have a ball with these kids. You know, none of their parents, right? It's just us and the kids and maybe one or two chaperones. You know, I'd always have one like 20-something guy, one 20-something girl that would sleep in the cabins with the kids, right? I mean, we had 20 kids, right? And of course, Jennifer and I have our balcony way away from them. The other side of the ship, right? (laughs) That's right, that's right. And so... But God bless. I mean, it was it was so fun. But yeah, it was my way. And Jennifer and I were like, look, these kids, we don't want them going to Panama City, right? Because we all know what happens in Panama City. So um, it was great. It Keep was them out great. of trouble. Yep. That was, that was our thing. Matter of fact, you're you're still have relationships with a lot of those kids. Like you're you're leaving this week, and I you, am. you got one that's graduating from seminary. So when I was saying we have those twenty somethings that stayed in the cabins, this is Big Mick, Mick Miller, and so but. Um, uh, he he did it three years with us, and he went and stayed with the boys and stayed in the cabin with them, and he was the one that had to stay out till 3 a.m. with them. And and so he's graduated from seminary in Fort Worth on Friday morning, and heck, yeah, I'm going to fly out there I for I know that. you're proud. I am. I'm very proud of that young man. But see, that's planting seeds in people, fertilizing it, letting God take it to where it goes, because you, know, you wouldn't have had that opportunity had you been, I, I don't want to say selfish, you know, at the time, but you looked at the bigger picture. You were able, you had good mentorship around you. You had good people you could listen to that says, this is a good idea for you so, to do this. Yes. And for me, you know, I recognized I had a gift or an ability. And that ability is I can communicate with teenagers. I don't know why that's what I have. But I tell people, you give me a 15-year-old, I can get them eating out of the palm of my hand, right? Cars don't hurt. Yeah, that's right? true, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. When you have when you have cool cars, that doesn't hurt if you're currying favor with 15-year-old boys. Um, but it just, you know, it it fit. And I enjoy doing it, right? Uh, you know, I'll give you one more example is when COVID hit, the high school boys used to meet at, at St. Luke. Um, and when COVID hit, they wouldn't let them meet indoors. And so the youth pastor guy at that point, Jonathan Moore, great friend of mine, you know, he called me up and, you know, Jennifer and I at our house, we have a big like fire pit area and everything like that. And so uh, we decided, okay, well, if we can't meet indoors, we're going to do the high school boys Bible study outside, you know, at the fire pit. And y'all know boys in fire, right? So one of my sayings used to be safety third, right? Not safety first, safety third, because when it comes to boys, right, fire and women, no safety. Right. It's women. There's fire. There's safety. Right. Safety third used to be my battle cry when I was a Boy Scout uh, leader. And so uh, we we talked about girls and we sat around a fire. Right. And so but we did that. And that it was going to be for like, you know, just a little bit, you know, what, two weeks to flatten the curve or two months to flatten the curve. That's right. That's right. And years later, they're still meeting at the fire pit, whether I'm there or not. That's, that's really cool. cool. Right. That is. Really and so cool. they love it there. They love it. And, and my wife, you know, she's like uh, she's an amazing lady, you know. Her love language is boys eat, right? She will, she fixes their dinner for them and, and, you know, she scours, you know, uh, uh, you know, cookbooks for things that are kind of exotic, but still that the boys will want that's loaded with meat and cheese and potatoes and everything like that. So she gets, that's, that's how she serves on that side. Well, now you get to mentor a a son-in-law. I do. You get to mentor uh, Raymond, right? Raymond. 
So let's talk also, because this kind of ties in to some things we're going to talk about here in a minute, but okay. uh, the Raymond Project. Yes. You, you come to me, it was a while back, and you were like, hey, I've got this idea. This is what I'm about to do with my son-in-law. Uh, so let's talk about the Raymond Project. Okay. The Raymond Project. So I, um, for, for you men out there, one day you may have a son-in-law, and so I do now. Um, so Raymond Blair is his name, hence the Raymond Project. And so Raymond was, he's 22 years old, right? So let's get that out there first, right? So a lot of people don't really know what they're wanting to do and what their direction in life is, is going to be at that age. And so I proposed at the Waffle House, of course. Um, I took he and my wife and I took he and my daughter um, to Waffle House and I had this whole thing planned out. And I'm like, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to quit your job and I want you to give me six months of your life. Give me six months from from June through De- through the end of the year, through December. And actually, we're going to shut it down uh, at the end of November. We're one month ahead of schedule. And I said, I want to teach you everything I can teach you. And I want to bring in other great men that can teach you things I can't teach you. And in the end, I want you to have an understanding of how the world works. And then you figure out your path. And men have been amazing jumping in with them. Um you know, I said, you know, go hang with somebody. You know, a lot of it was a shadowing series, right, where he would spend time with other men um, from a bunch of different disciplines. We do a daily devotional every day, right? I had a couple of projects for him to work on. Um, we do a trip every month together, right, so so we can build our relationship. But, I mean, really the other men, I mean, so he's hung with people who, you know, CEOs of manufacturing companies, guys who run private equity funds, um, insurance guys, real estate guys, um, you know, politicians, right? I wanted him to just have this big breath and then say, okay, now what do you like, right? And so, as you know, right, I, I see that every business has five pillars. That's just Trip Amos's view of the world. And so I wanted him to have um, a grounding in all those five pillars so that when he does find what he wants to do in life, you know, I'm very big believer in, I told him, look, like you said, I mean, I grew up blessed and, and so will he. And I said, look, I do not want you having a position, a career where you have to miss your daughter or your sons. I want you to be available and be present as a father and as a husband. And, you know, if there's a two o'clock baseball game for Little League that your boss isn't like you're in, you know, you can't go. Right. And I want you to be able to plant the seeds early. Listen, at 22, if we can do this right, at 32, you can do whatever you want to do. And so that's our goal together. And I made him... I made him write down his one, three, and five-year goals, uh, spiritual, professional, and personal. I made him uh, do a bucket list item. <clears throat> the bucket list item, you'll love this. Of the 10, two of them is people he wants to meet. Oh, really? Right? <laughs> and then the other eight are visit the Holy Land and all these yeah. other things, right? But the two people he wants to meet, it couldn't be more different. He wants to meet President Trump, and he wants to meet the drummer from Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's he, a little trip influence so, on that one. Well, so so he is he is the drummer in the praise band at St. Luke. So I mean that is his passion okay. and his love, right? And he's an amazing he's an amazing drummer. Um, I used to you know play when I was young, and he's like 10, 20, 30 x what I could ever do. But Nico McBrain, y'all have no idea who that is, but that's the drummer <laughs> for Iron Maiden, and that's one of his ten things in life. <laughs> so really so you're five months into this deal, mm-hmm. and. Has, what's some things that he's learned? He's 22. <clears throat> 22. He's 20, I didn't even start thinking different until I was about 25. Well, you, know? you didn't because no one our age forced you to do yeah. so, right? You don't think that way. You know, no. you're just, you know, I, let's get out of the video game phase. And, you know, so, so 
some of the mantras that I took through this, right, is every man is the average of their five best friends. True. Right? And I pour that into him. I'm like, listen, because some of his friends, it's video games till 3 a.m. or, you know, doing things you shouldn't be doing, you know. And, and again, you know, I have to tell him some of the harsh realities, which is when you get married, single guy friends aren't good. Aren't good. No. Aren't good. No. Right? And, and when you become a father, not just a husband, you know, it's not a travesty, right, that your friend group changes over time. That's right. But if your five best friends, you know, you know, are lazy, unambitious, smoke weed, you know, play video games all day. I'm just generalizing, but you know, you know what? That will be you. Or at least that will be everyone's perception of you. Yeah. Right. And I've challenged him to find good influences in his life that are our generation, even my 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 dad's generation. So I'll give you some experiences, right, that he's had. Um, one, a friend of mine named John Anchor, he runs a company called Anchor Pack is his company. He, um, he's a manufacturer. And so he spent a couple of days with him, but I mean, he, man, John, he just jumped into it with both feet, right? He introduced him around. He showed him how the manufacturing process worked. At one point, Anchor Pack, uh, weird, manufactured 90% of all bobby pins in America out of Columbus, Georgia, right? That's what he did. And so, but he's just a manufacturing guy. But one of the things, he, he's on a, a board of a local bank. And he took him to the bank board meeting. And, you know, what do you have to do at the bank board meeting? you got to go through the balance sheet, the income statement, you know, loan approvals. Yeah. And he got to sit there at the board meeting and not only meet the other board members, but understand how a bank works, right? But and you, how banking works. I mean, just – You don't know what you don't know. And, and you don't. You don't. You know, you said it about traveling, going abroad, you know, being able to see something different. You know, if there's a window and, and this is all you see, that's all you see. But the window gets bigger – this right you know right. so it's, it's absolutely powerful with, you know, had, what you've done for him he'd never been to washington dc right so i took him up to dc i introduced him to a number of people we did a um you know we did a tour of the capitol we did you know just how does this how does this freaking government thing work when y'all figure that right? out let me know <laughs> let me tell you well that's another that's another podcast but, <laughs> but you know he got to meet some of the movers and shakers up there right and and so, but understand that that there is a political process. So I took him there, you know, but he he spent days with people in real estate. Some people were were just residential realtors, developers, right? And commercial real estate. He yeah. he dealt he 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 sat with all three. I made him some of the tasks, right? Because you're not always meeting with other people or myself. You know, I made him you know, study the real estate course, right? The real estate license course. I made him study the insurance licensing course, not to necessarily sell real estate or sell insurance, but to understand real estate and insurance. Because whatever business you're in, you're going to deal with real estate and insurance. Pick the business. It's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's two of the five pillars. And so, um, but, you know, uh, he met with my uncle, uh, Cecil. And, you know, Cecil, now he's every Thursday morning, he's at Cecil's, you know, uh, Bible study. And that's the one he joined. And my guess is he is the youngest person by 40 years in that Bible <laughs> study, right? Cecil's, I don't know, at 72, 73 years old, and it's all of his friends. But that's that's where he, at 22 years old, he gets up. And I would have never told you he would have gotten up at 6.30 a.m., right, six months ago. Um, and so, you know, I just, I want him to grow spiritually. I want him to grow professionally. I want him to grow personally. You know, this is going to be the father of my grandchildren, right? That's you know, the, the with them, right. That's what's in it for me. And I need him to be a good man. Yeah. And, and not that he wasn't beforehand. Right. Um, but you also need him to understand <clears throat> the inheritance as well. Yeah. 
because you didn't yeah. want that change. There to be is broken. a there is a legacy piece attached. And and let me say this, you know, he has a great dad, right? I don't want to take away from that either, right? Is you know his dad went with us on one of the trips that we went on, right? He and his dad have a close relationship. His dad has been amazingly wonderful about this because here's the backstory: is when I said I, I want you to quit your job and come and do this for six months, he had to quit working for his dad. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, he was real nervous about talking to his dad saying, Dad, I want to leave you so I can go and hang with. Did you share with his dad what you wanted to do? I did. Okay. Yeah, I did. How did his dad respond? So his dad, his dad. So I didn't share with him. I I made Raymond do it. And so, you know, I have literally a two page. Here's the Raymond project. Here's how it works. Um, You know, and, you know, he shared it with his dad and his dad told him if I were you. I wouldn't hesitate. That's cool. Yeah. I wouldn't hesitate. Instead of having an right. ego and being like, what, yeah. what, what's he trying to yeah, do? He, what's he, he trying to control? Right. And, you and, know what I mean? And, and he can always go back to working with his dad. And frankly, if he does, he'll be more knowledgeable That's right. in whatever it is that they want to do yeah, together. Absolutely. Right? So I just, I do want to say that, right? Is that it, I didn't take some kid who, you know, doesn't have a great father figure. Ray Blair, his dad, you know, is is a great dude and and they have a lot of fun together as well. And so, you know, I'm still the father-in-law. I'm not the father, but yeah. I, I love that role. Now you hit on two of the pillars. Let's yes. talk about all the pillars that you okay. believe, right? The, there's five pillars. <clears throat> there's five pillars. This is now, this is just the world according to Trip Amos, right? right. Five pillars of what? No science. All right. So my view is I, I want him to be an entrepreneur. I want him to seek freedom, right? Like I said, if he if there's a two o'clock, you know, softball game for his daughter, I want him to have zero reason not to be there, right? Those kind of things. So I think in business, there are five things that you have to know and have an understanding of. I don't care what you do. You can own a Chick-fil-A. We're talking about that, right? You can own a restaurant. You can own a construction company. You can own an insurance agency, whatever it is. So here are the five, right? You have to understand real estate, and these are in no particular order. Because again, whatever business you're in, you're either buying or renting, you have an office, you have a presence, you have something. You have to understand real yeah. estate, how it works. You're either signing a lease or you're buying a building. That's right. Right? Real estate is in every business. Number two is insurance. Insurance, I don't care what you do, you're insuring the people, the property, plant, and equipment. Yep. Right? Uh, insurance is involved in every business. Right? In fact, I was the, the, the stat I told you earlier, right? I always tell people, after taxes, housing, and food, Insurance is the American family's fourth largest expense. Everybody. If you add up how much you're paying for your health insurance, your car insurance, your life insurance, right? Homeowners or renters, it is easily. And for most people, it's actually ahead of taxes, right? After housing and food, insurance is a is the third largest line item for American families. And again, whatever business he wants to be in, insurance is going to be a part of it. So real estate, there's insurance, banking. Right. And that's why I wanted him to go to a bank board meeting, understand, you know, how a deal is structured. You know, the two primary documents, right, uh, an income sheet and, a, a, you know, an income statement and a balance sheet, how to read those. Um, because, again, whatever you do, you're going to need a loan. You're going to need capital. You're going to need liquidity. Right. You're going to have to have a banking relationship. Um, the, the fourth is is kind of regulation and politics. You've got to understand how politics work. And, and part of that is regulation. Again, if you own a restaurant, there's regulations around that restaurant. If you own an insurance agency, the government is involved in every business. You have to understand what their role is. And then the last one is taxes. That again, no matter what business you're in, tax strategy is going to play an important role in it. And so that's kind of what I've based the Raymond Project around in, in the professional sense. Like I said, we have a spiritual and a personal component as well. 
But what we've based it on on the on the professional side is I need you to understand these five things. If you want to open a restaurant, you do you. You want to open a construction company, you do you. You want to open a real estate empire, you do you. But I promise you all five of these, if you don't have an understanding and can't carry on a conversation and have uh, uh, counterparts and relationships in those five areas, your business is less likely to be successful. That's good. Because you want him to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You want him to be able to create his own wealth and not be rich. Correct. So we talked about that earlier. We did. About the difference difference between between rich and wealth and and how to accumulate the wealth. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, my definition has always been, right, rich, your body works for your money, right? Doctors and lawyers are rich, but if they stop suing and slicing, then, you know, the money stops, right? Wealthy is your money works for your money. And so everybody has to go from rich to wealthy or you can't retire, right? Because sooner or later, your body doesn't work for your money. And everybody's nut is different, right? How much somebody needs to retire, this person versus that person can be vastly different, yeah. vastly different. But so you've got to have a plan. And and I, he and I were talking yesterday. I said there, there are two weapons, right? One is time and one is resources. I am resource rich. I'm not time rich, right? I'm 52 now, right? He's not resource rich, but he's time rich. Right. What he can accomplish in 10 years with fewer resources, right, is going to be better than what I can do with my resources with fewer time. And so I'm just trying to help him understand how to acquire the resources because he's got time and spades. Right. I mean, think about that. I mean, when we were 32, we thought we were grown. And now you I, yeah. be honest. Right. We look at 32 year olds and think I can squash you like a bug. Right. I mean, you're like, who? you know, I even told him yesterday, I said, you do know your prefrontal, you know, cortex is not fully developed yet. Right. <laughs> But, you know, he if, if he can understand that, you know, he has so much time on his hands in the sense of in, in eight years, he's only 30. Right. And I want him to be a beast. Right. I want him to be, uh, you know, this is kind of that Jordan Peterson stuff and everything like that. Right. I want he's him. He's good, by the way. He's awesome. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things he says is, you know, and this is what I want for my son, my son-in-law, you know, for all these men that, that Mick Miller that I'm going out to see. You know, one of the sayings is, you know, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And I want these men to be beasts in the sense of, you know, they can control their own destiny. They can influence others for positive. They can give back. They can contribute. They can pour into others because you can't pour into others if you don't have, you know, if you're not, you know, prepared. And so that's what I want for these guys long term. Yeah. I'm, I'm really big on men <clears throat> leading. You know, Maybe. you know, there, there's so many, you know, the divorce rate in America right now is 50 percent, you know, and there's so many <clears throat> mothers that have had to raise men because the father hasn't been there. And, you know, we, we want to blame the government. We want to blame problems, um, you know, point the finger. But at the end of the day, it's men aren't leading. Men aren't leading. Men and, aren't leading. And, and I am, you know, I, I am one that I do believe there are God-given gender roles. And and a thing you know that is so true to me is you know remember what did I tell you give me a kid when they're how old yeah thirteen thirteen yeah this guy, you know women are better equipped to turn babies into boys and men are better at turning boys into men yeah right I, I truly believe that yeah. right you give me a two year old I don't know you know what do you want to do with this you know but you give me the thirteen year old boy I'll help you make him a man yeah right. It's just that's I do believe that is the way God designed it. Yeah, and so and and so I just the Raymond Project has, in my opinion, been a success. Right? He's, you know, he's going to graduate. I guess for lack of a better word, um, you know, we're going to do a dinner. Um, 
uh, in a couple of weeks here, and we're inviting all the men that you know he visited with and sat with and everything like that. And but they were just you know one of the guys who's in private equity. He took him to Birmingham for a day and went and you know uh, you know showed him his companies over there, and they met with the CEOs and the people he's meeting and and seeing that ambition can be a positive thing. It's not a greedy thing, right? And that these men you know, are, are, you know, helping him develop his faith as well as his, you know, professional acumen. Right. I, I just, I, you know, every, my wife thinks we ought to write a book. Right. And, you know, every, every dad that has a daughter, I'm looking at you. Hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> sending him your way. Yeah, hey, you already said you would do it. I will. I will. I will sit with any young man. We talk about at du- Dinglewood. duplication all the time. <laughs> you need to duplicate this. Is, is everybody going to have the resources to be able to do it like you've done it? No, but there's a way you can duplicate this. It, it, it doesn't take money to do it, right? It takes commitment to do it. And if you go and put this out in your community, you would be amazed, just like I was, at the men who will respond. Yeah. Right? You want what? You want me to teach your 22-year-old? And so I, I would tell the men, I said, I just need you to do two things with this guy. When you have Raymond for the day or a couple of days, number one, I want you to show them how your business works. How does it work from the ground up? You know, how, how is it profitable? How does it work? What are the, why are you passionate about it? Everything like that. And then number two, if you had your 22-year-old self in the room for the day, what would you tell him? What would you tell him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those would be the two things I would tell the men. You know, show them your business. Tell him why you're passionate about it. How does it work? And then tell him, if, he, if you had your 22-year-old self in the room, what would you say? And these guys have done, stepped up. Yeah, you need to write a book. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that's so I'm really a math good. guy, not an English guy. That's why I married an English teacher. So I'm not a writer. So I need a ghostwriter. That's what I, I need. You, you can get on the mic and talk. And I can get on the mic and talk. Can, we've we've all learned that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, you Nick said something about duplication, and that's one of the four ways that you believe to accumulate the wealth. Absolutely, that's the only way to accumulate wealth is duplication. So what are the other ones? Because we talked about that and starting a business. If someone's out there, they're an entrepreneur, explain the difference. You know, we talked about distribution and uh, duplication and, and really scaling their business. Okay. So, you know, when it comes to business, I think there are four paths to wealth. And so I, I, I still do this talk uh, from time to time for different organizations, right? Uh, insurance, otherwise. Um and I called it the origins of wealth. Again, this is just Trip Amos's worldview, right? There's no science behind this, but no one stumped me, like I said. But there are only four ways to get wealthy, right? Distribution, leverage, royalty, inheritance. That's it. And, and, and what I tell people is if I gave you a million dollars today and you earn 10% on your money every year, okay, well, that means next year you have 1.1 million. That means in two years you have 1.21 million. Okay, but you're also two years closer to death. How do you get that 1 million to become 100 million? Right. And the only way is using one of the four origins of wealth, right? Distribution, leverage, royalty, and inheritance. And what those four things do is they are the only way to duplicate yourself. And you look at every business out there that is successful and they subscribe to one of those, right? We talk, we look at the easy ones, right? The easy ones on distribution, Walmart, Dollar General. Um, we even talked about Microsoft, right? Not being technology, being distribution. Um, you know, so you can look, you know, Amazon, right? It's a, it, they're a distribution play. That's the, le- that's the origin of wealth that they use. Leverage, right? Where's that used? That's in banking. That's in real estate. No one can afford their house if they actually, right. most people, if they actually had to pay cash for their house, if they didn't use the origin of wealth of leverage, you know, putting 20% down, borrowing the rest, yeah. we'd all be living in, you know, one bedroom, you know, you know, manufactured housing, right? And that's what we'd be doing. And then royalty, right? So 
you know, my example there is it's 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 Disney, it's Marvel, right? It's the music industry, music industry, right? But I mean, you know, Marvel Comics hasn't made a successful new, you know, superhero in seventy years. But you want to put Spider Man on underoos? Give me money, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, that's how you know Disney. I mean, you know, it. So royalty, you know, and then inheritance, right? Is 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 a different animal a little bit, but. Again, if you can't, and I tell people, whatever you do in life, go find a career that you can leverage as many of those four as possible. You know, and and where I really constructed it was in the insurance realm, right? Because we have all of those, but you duplicate yourself through distribution, through geography, inheritances through the generations, right? Um, you know, you know, royalties is through time, right? Because you only have so much time, right? You know, in a day, um, I, I have no idea how Elon Musk you know runs four companies, but he does. But at some point, even he hits a max, right? And you've got to have you've got to have other ways to make money while you sleep, and even while you're doing something different. And those are the only four ways I know how to do it. Sure, this has been good. Thank y'all for having me. Good. Oh yeah, so, so you're coming back though, just so you know. Rock and roll. <laughs> so so, what 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 what's Trip Amos doing right now? What is Trip Amos doing right now? So um, I do uh, consulting with Aflac. Okay. Um, I, I, I love my company. I love Aflac. I love what we do. I love the culture. Um, that's really one of my key roles is kind of maintaining the culture that Aflac has, um, not only in headquarters, but throughout the distribution system. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing. I mean, there is an Aflac nation out there. Uh, number two, uh, I'm an entrepreneur in residence at Georgia Tech. Um, they have a technology um, development um, incubator. Right for for tech startups in in Atlanta, but throughout Georgia, and so I help coach and mentor those CEOs of those tech startups. I love that because I love the coaching and mentoring part. But what I get is, I get to stay on top of what the new emerging technologies are. Right, I mean, they, they, you still got to educate yourself at fifty two. So I love doing that. Third uh, best job right now is empty nester. Um, is a fantastic job. So that's a good thing. That's right? a good thing. Okay. It is. A, I got five kids, and so we don't feel it, like we don't know if we're coming or going it, half the I, time. And I only had two, and so I listen. Uh, I can't imagine having five kids. I just I can't imagine what that schedule looks like. But but you know, my wife and I, we 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 you know, we have time that we didn't have. Yeah. Right. We we have time that we didn't have. So it, it's great. And. But it allows us to have a lot of fun, right? I'm, you know, I used to work a lot harder than I do now. And truthfully, that's one of the things I've told Raymond, right? You either pay now or pay later. Yeah, choose right? your hard. Right? I mean, it, look at health, right? Either you can work out now and pay for it now, or you can have bad health later on in life and pay later. And so I told him, right, you can either pay now and work your butt off now, or you can pay later and be 40 years old and broke. That's right. Right? Because you didn't plant those seeds. So, um, so now I'm playing a little bit more. I'm working a little bit less. Um, allows me to do things like, you know, podcasts with friends. Um, but those are kind of my things right now, right? So as I told you, I'm going to a, a Raiders game this weekend and an Aerosmith concert. And, um, you know, so um, it's a good life. We can't thank you enough. I so appreciate being here. It's to been both good, y'all. Man. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you both.